rest of it. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name the sea, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her so they, so that she may be well and live. And, and he went. Him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had suffered, had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard reports about Jesus and came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, If I touch it, even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was speaking, there came from the ruler's house, said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not... Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the father's child the child's father and mother and those who were with him and they went where the father was taking her by the hand he said to her talithi kumi which means little girl i say to you arise and immediately the girl walked up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement and he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told him to give her something to eat well, good morning. We begin this morning speaking more directly to the kids. We only have a few kids here today, so those who are here, I need you to pay attention. Listen closely. I'm going to see if you can help me to finish this sentence. Circle. Circle, dot, dot, now I have the, anybody? Do y'all not do this anymore? 
This was very popular when I was a child. Circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I have the cootie shot. Do y'all know what cooties are, kids? Have you ever heard of cooties? Okay, I, actually, I don't know what cooties are either. Like, if you were to say, what are cooties? I don't know. But there are a few things I do know about cooties. Number one, you don't want them. Number two, they are contagious. And number three, the most common way of transferring the cooties, this is important, is from a touch of the opposite gender. So boys can give girls cooties, and girls can give boys cooties. So one consequence of the cooties is that you're outside on the playground. If you have the cooties, nobody wants to be around you. Everybody is going to run away from you. Everybody fears catching the cooties from a boy or a girl. And this morning, we're going to talk about a woman in the Bible who has something similar to what we call the cooties. But it's not a game. It's her life. And the version of the cooties that she has prevents her from having any friends, prevents her from living a normal life within her society, and even prevents her from going to church. We'll find out what happens this morning when someone like that meets Jesus. So please pray with me as we look into God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word, how it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that as we continue our time in the Gospel of Mark, that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly for who he is, that we might worship him as our king, that we might find comfort in our sorrow, that we might find hope and joy in the midst of our lives. We thank you for the wonderful Savior that you have given us, and pray, Lord, that you might help us to believe and trust in him. In his name that we pray, amen. Well, now we've spoken to the kids, we can speak more also directly to the adults. Do any of us here like being interrupted? No, right? Maybe you have a busy day, you have your whole day scheduled out, everything planned, and then something unplanned or unexpected happens. Are you happy about that? How do you respond in your life when things are interrupted? Well, here in this story in Mark 5 that Nathaniel and Naomi read for us, we find that Jesus was interrupted. He was on his way to save a little girl's life. And we're going to focus not on that part of the story, but on, on the interruption, because it's in the way that Jesus interrupted and responds to it that we can find hope as well. And so this morning, a very simple outline. We're going to talk about this woman's problem, and then we're going to talk about her solution. So this woman has a problem, and we're going to find out what her solution is. So first, the problem it might seem unnecessary to ask what this woman's problem is because the text so clearly states what it is. I'm going to read it for us again. Mark tells us what this woman's problem is in verse 25 and 26. It says, There was a woman. This woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all the money that she had had. And in the end, she was no better. But she grew worse. And on the surface, it seems like this woman's problem is an incurable medical condition that has left her destitute. And even if you've never experienced anything like her situation, I think all of us can imagine what it would be like, how desperate and hopeless you would feel. If you had, what if you had a medical condition that no doctors knew what they were? No doctor that you went to could help you, could diagnose your problem. 
you were undergoing series and series of tests, and there was no end in sight. And not only that, medical bills are stacking up more and more, and you're feeling stressed. But if we understand her Jewish context better, then we understand that her problems are not merely physical and financial, as great as those may be. You see, the woman's specific medical condition, it says she had a discharge of blood. This means that she is unclean, according to the ancient Jewish system of purity laws. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with purity laws, but probably the best example or the most commonly known example is kosher laws. So oftentimes we know Jewish people abide by kosher food laws, which means they can't eat things like pork or shellfish. So food laws are just one part of this greater um, system that they have of what things are clean and what things are unclean. And in this system, people, that's you and I, if we're part of this, you're always in one of two states. You're either clean or unclean. And the basic principle in this system, and this is important, is unclean always wins. Unclean always wins. And what that means is that whenever unclean encounters clean, unclean is transferred to the clean object. Cleanness, being in the right state of purity, is never transferred to what is unclean. Clean becomes unclean, and clean can only become clean again by following some sort of set actions. And that's what I want to read for us. This is a passage from Leviticus 15 that specifically talks about this condition that this woman has in Mark 5. So listen closely. This is Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, so speaking directly to this woman's situation, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, All the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. Did you hear that? The law says, if you have a discharge of blood, then you are unclean for the entire time that you have this discharge of blood. Meaning, this woman's been unclean continuously for 12 years. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. What does it mean that she's unclean? It means every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. Everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual purity, impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean. She shall wash, or he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So this woman, she's been unclean for 12 years and not only that, but everything that she touches her uncleanness transfers to that. You can see why she couldn't go to church. She would sit on a pew, and just by the fact that she is sitting on it, it would make it, render it unclean. And nobody else could sit on it unless they wanted to become unclean as well. So practically speaking, what this means is that if you have a reputa- reputation as someone who's ritually impure or unclean, then people would avoid coming into contact with you so as to avoid becoming unclean themselves. Everything you lay down on, everything you sit down, everything that you touch can become something that can transfer uncleanness to someone else. Can you imagine how isolating that would be for someone in her situation? 
Anytime you go into a room, people avoid you. So in addition to her physical and financial woes, this woman is likely socially alone, isolated, and ostracized from her greater community. Yet that's not even her deepest problem. We must go even one step further to diagnose what this woman's true problem is. Our passage in Leviticus chapter 15 continues this. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. On the eighth day, she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. So you see, the law has a way for once a person, once the woman no longer has this discharge, in a week's time, she can become clean again. All she has to do is follow the proper steps. Wait seven days. On the eighth day, take two turtle doves or two pigeons, depending on how much money you have. Bring them to the priest. Offer it as a sin offering. The priest makes atonement for her, and then she's declared clean again. But remember, for this woman in Mark chapter 5, she's been unclean for 12 years. She's visited every doctor. She's tried every remedy out there. She's spent all of her money. Verse 31, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 31. And this is the part I wanted to focus on. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. All right, so this woman is physically suffering. She's financially suffering. She's emotionally and socially suffering. But here we get to what her true problem is. Her physical condition, her illness, her discharge of blood that renders her unclean, it alienates and separates her from God. It says literally, her presence would defile God's holy place. She's separated and cut off from God with no hope. At its core, ritual uncleanness prohibits a person from worshiping at the temple. Being ritually unclean means you're not fit to enter into the presence of God. You see, the temple is often presented as a symbol of God's presence, the place where God chooses to dwell, his holy name, his presence among his people. Yet for many, including this woman, the symbol is actually, or the temple is actually a symbol for the exact opposite, right? For her, the temple doesn't symbolize God's presence. The temple symbolizes her exclusion, her alienation, her separation from God. The temple represents the fact that she is unclean and unable to worship God. See, the temple is the center of ancient Jewish life in a way that I don't think anything for us is quite equivalent. The temple in Israel is the center of not only the religious life, but it's the center of economics. It's like the bank. It's like the central bank. It's like the politics, social, cultural, all these events, finance, everything is wrapped up in the temple. And so if you can't access the temple, if you can't go into the temple, then you're cut off from all of Jewish society. To be excluded from the temple is to be excluded from your people. And so for this woman with the discharge of blood in Mark chapter 5, the temple is a constant reminder that she is alienated from God and everyone else around her and that her very presence is defiling. She's dirty. Remember, uncleanness only travels in one direction. If she were to go into the temple, her uncleanness 
would transfer to the temple. It's no wonder then that such diseases in the ancient times were interpreted as signs of God's displeasure or a sign or punishment for your sin. The thinking would go something like this. If God really wanted you, or if, God, if you were a good person, or if you really re- deserve to be in his presence, then he wouldn't have afflicted you with that disease. He wouldn't have given you that discharge of blood. It's the ancient version of the kinds of questions that we often ask ourselves. If God really cared about me, then I wouldn't have gotten sick. If God really cared about me, that loved one would not have passed away, or I would have gotten into this school or that school. If God really loved me, I wouldn't be so lonely with no prospects for a spouse. If God were real, then I'd be able to see him, I'd be able to feel him or sense him more in my life. If God really loved me, if God were really in control, and we were left to wonder if the problem was with God, or does God have a problem with us? Do you understand the hopelessness of this woman's situation? There's nothing that she can do to make herself clean. As long as she has this discharge of blood, and she's had it for 12 years, like we've said, she's gone to every doctor, she's tried every remedy. As long as she has this discharge of blood, she can never be ritually clean. She can never be a part of Jewish society. She can never enter the temple precepts. There's no sacrifices that she can offer. There's no good deeds that she can perform. There's no money that she can give that will make her clean. There's literally nothing that she can do. And so it is with us. You cannot make yourself clean. In many ways, we're all like this unnamed woman in Mark chapter 5. We're unfit and unclean to enter into the presence of a holy God. And actually, however desperate and hopeless her situation sounds, our situation is actually far more dire than hers. Because her problem is ritual purity. And the thing that you have to know about ritual purity, about this distinction between clean and unclean, is it's, that, it's not a moral distinction. Her problem is ritual impurity. Our problem is moral What really, truly separates anyone from God is not this discharge of blood. It's moral sin. To be ritually unclean, then, is just a visible, tangible symbol and a reminder that what really separates you, what true uncleanness is, is moral sin. So we have to ask, is God for such a person as this woman in Mark chapter 5? And is God for us? Is God only for those who are like spotless lambs without blemish? Is God for those who have nothing to give him and, or offer him? The question is, does God care about the unclean and the immoral? Does God care about unclean people? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. Because if, if God cared about unclean people, then why would he create all of these rules that would bar unclean people from entering into his presence? In some ways, it seems like he wants to avoid unclean people and keep them as far away from him as possible. Why do all of these rules exist that cause people to avoid this woman? So that's the woman's problem. That's our problem. Now we come to the good news that we see here 
in Mark chapter 5, Jesus offers the solution for this woman. And it's our solution as well. You see, the woman's solution is God's answer to all of those questions that we just asked. Does God care about the unclean? Does he care about this woman? And does he care about us? The answer is found in Mark chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. It reads, This woman with the discharge of blood for 12 years, she had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and she just reached out and touched his garment. For she said, If I even touch his garments, the way Matthew puts it, this is the Gospel of Mark, but the Gospel of Matthew, he says, If I even touch the fringe of his garment, the outermost part, I will be made well. And immediately it says the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. See, technically, if we go back to the Jewish system of purity laws that we were talking about earlier, technically, according to the letter of the law, by touching Jesus' garment, the woman should have transferred her uncleanness to Jesus. Right? Uncleanness only goes in one direction. Unclean to clean. Jesus is the one that should have been rendered unclean. Yet here, remarkably, the opposite is true. And here we're told that in Jesus, clean is what wins. This woman touches Jesus and immediately her flow of blood dries up. In the law, remember, there's an established pathway to become clean again. There's a process that you have to follow. You wait a certain amount of time. You wash in a certain way. You offer certain sacrifices, but the implication here is that Jesus' healing is immediate with no strings attached. He completely transforms the purity laws. So that's why when we say that Jesus fulfills all the Old Testament, we say that often here, Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, its entire law, all the purity regulations and rules. What we mean is that in Jesus, he accomplishes what even perfectly following the law never could. Because in Jesus, clean beats unclean. In Jesus, he himself is the, source of un- is the source of cleanness. You see, part of the point of the purity laws, why God gives all of these laws, is to make you really know the depth of the chasm that exists between sinful humanity and a holy God. All the rules and regulations that to us seem so complicated and complex all of them are meant to point to this fact that God is perfect and the requirements to even approach him are tremendously high. The point is that even after you jump through all the hoops, even after you make all your perfect preparations and plans, even after all that, you realize that you only come to the edge of the edge of his holy presence. It's like the Grand Canyon. Has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's like the it's like the hike. The rules in the, right, the Old Testament rules and regulations are like the hike, the long, arduous hike to get up to the Grand Canyon. And once you've completed this hike, you're tired, you're hot, you're sweaty, and you look out over the Grand Canyon, what do you realize? You realize how wide and vast this chasm is, how impossible it would be to cross on your own. That's what the purity laws are. You follow everything perfectly, And even after doing that, you realize nothing that you can do will actually ever help you to make it across. 
the Old Testament, it does indeed give us a glimpse of the glory of God, but at the same time, it reveals our inability to access God's glory. What then? How then can we bridge this impossible chasm that exists between us and God? The answer is the woman's solution to her problem. Our passage continues in Mark chapter 5. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, he immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, Jesus transforms this woman from unclean to clean in an instant. Yet, we know that he's not content with just physically healing this woman. And how do we know that? It's because he calls out to her. He knows that she's already been healed, yet he specifically stops and asks, who touched me? He does that because he wants to encourage her because he knows that she needs more in her life than just physical healing. Remember, we saw that her problem, her true problem, is the same as ours. It's not just her physical woes. It's not just the fact that she lacks money. Not the fact that she's socially isolated from everyone else. Her true problem is that she is separated and alienated from God. And Jesus knows this. So he calls out and asks, who touched me? These verses tell us that the woman does three simple things that lead to her not only physical healing, but her reconciliation with God. Number one, she expresses faith in Jesus. Remember what she said right before she reached out and touched Jesus? She said, if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. She knows that her healing, and you should know in, in the Greek, healing and salvation are the same word. Her healing, her salvation can only come through Jesus Number two, she comes to Jesus. She responds to Jesus when Jesus says, who touched me? She comes to Jesus, it says, in a posture of fear and trembling, and she falls down and worship before him. And number three, it says she tells Jesus the whole truth. As this woman's problem is our problem, we might not be having the same physical problems, but all of us understand that the root problem of our lives is that we're separated from God. As this woman's problem is our problem, so this woman's solution is our solution. Do you see who this Christ is as Mark reveals him to be? Christ is the very presence of God made manifest among us, and he's not separate or far off like the temple. But he's very near to us. The Bible gives this picture that a great crowd follows around him and thronged about him. See the picture that's given? Jesus is among the people. What do we just celebrate during Christmas time? Emmanuel, God with us. This picture that we have in Mark chapter 5 is the picture of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus among the people. He's within arm's reach. He's able to be touched and ready to heal and to save. God with us is no longer confined to the Holy of Holies in the temple. Are you all familiar with the way the temple is structured? In ancient Israel, the temple has three different parts. There's a holy place, the holier place, and the most holy place. 
And the deeper or further you go into the temple, the more inaccessible it is, the more restricted it is. There's more rules about who can enter and in what process. So by the very end, in the Holy of Holies, only one person can go there, the high priest. And even he can only go there once a year on the Day of Atonement. The temple, you see, restricts the presence of God. Yet Jesus is the exact opposite. It says Jesus is the great high priest who does not restrict the presence of God but makes it available to all of us. Jesus is the great high priest who's made available by his spirit at all moments to anyone and everyone at any time to all those who express faith and trust in him. So along with this unnamed woman in Mark chapter 5 who's been struggling for 12 years but was healed in an instant, God's word calls us to express the same faith in Jesus. Recognize that Jesus is your one and only hope in life and salvation. Come before Jesus in a posture of fear and trembling, falling down before him and recognizing that Jesus alone holds the keys to life and death. Jesus alone has the power to heal and to save you. And then, very importantly, tell Jesus the truth. I think this is the hard one for us. But tell Jesus the truth. Tell Jesus our doubts and our disappointments, our fears and anxieties. There's no need to sugarcoat anything with Jesus. The woman comes to Jesus, she she tells him the whole truth. I've struggled for 12 years. I've gone to every single doctor out there. I've been left penniless. I'm worse now than when I started. I don't have any hope. But you healed me, Jesus. Tell Jesus the truth. Tell him that all the world's doctors that you have sought for your healing have left you dry and empty. Tell him all the other things and all the other people that you place hope and trust in, that you try to find joy and satisfaction in things other than him. Tell him those things. That is what we call confession. Come before Christ. Confess before him. And then tell him the truth that he is our only hope. That if salvation is not found in him, then we have nowhere else to turn. And if you do those things, if you express faith in Jesus, if you come before him with a posture of fear and trembling, and if you tell him the truth, then you, like this woman, will also have peace. You also have faith that will heal you. And as Jesus said, it will make you well. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you did not leave us alone in our uncleanness, but that you came down in the form of a man, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a man among the people to be with us. How comforting it is to know that Christ is present among us and not separate from us. We thank you for this miraculous healing of this woman whose life was transformed in a moment that we too might receive hope to know that none of us is too far, too far gone or unable to receive the same sort of healing and salvation from the touch of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you might help us see Christ more clearly as he is and he offers us, as he offers himself to us.
as our one and only hope in life and salvation through his life, his death, and the power of his resurrection. We do thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in his name that we pray, amen.